Well, thanks for being here uh, in person and joining us for part uh, nine, the last part of our series called Follow Me. Again, if you're online, thank you for joining in. Feel free to like and comment along the way if you would like. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about jumping into this last part of the series this morning, especially coming off of what we just did here with, with Little Lee. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I remember when I was younger and around Christmas time, um, I, I realized that there was an, an inverse relationship between my age and the size of the gifts that I prefer. So as I was younger, the bigger, the better, right? But as I got older, I realized, wait, the smaller, often the better. Often cash is in envelopes, right? Gift cards are in envelopes. So I realized over time that even though when I was younger, you know, big gifts were great, there's an inverse relationship. And we have a saying about that in our world, and it's simply this, that good things come in small packages. And you know this is true, right? Good things come in small packages. And generally that, that is a true statement. But if I push this further, I think it's also true, not just physically and around Christmas gifts, but it's also true for as I think about what impresses me the most or what makes the deepest impression. Here's what I mean by this. I remember um, when I was a student at Lancaster Bible College, the president of our college at the time um, was a great speaker. He was, I would say, a commanding presence from the front. Um, and what I remember about him, even though I heard him speak and saw him lead for four years, I don't remember a single message that he gave. And that's not meant to be that his messages were bad. I just don't remember the content of them. And I'm sure they impressed me at the time. But I will tell you what I do remember. I remember watching Dr. Peterson fold chairs and stack them along the side of the gym after we had a banquet one evening. And I remember thinking, the president of the college is taking time to clean up after a banquet, the presidential banquet, is over. I remember the small things like that, because don't they make an impression on you too? And here's what I think is true about life is this, that we can be captivated by big displays of power, but we are actually changed by small displays of compassion. And I think we have a, an inverse relationship with the big and small this way too, that we can be captivated by a great musician, a great artist, a great movie, a great performance, a great book, we can be captivated by some of that, but when it comes down to it, we're actually changed by the small acts of compassion that happen along our journey of life, even by people whom we respect, like in my case, a Dr. Peterson. Now, here's the irony, I think, of all this, that as I have grown up, and this may be the case for you, it may not be, but I think in general, our world will push our children in the next generation toward excellence, toward pursuing big dreams, and often toward finding and becoming the biggest and the greatest and having the most impact. And sometimes, sometimes we can get on a track where we think the greatest impact will be had when you have the biggest audience, when you have the most extensive reach, when the work that you're doing extends well beyond anything that you could possibly do, when, in other words, the things that you're doing get really big and significant. But the irony, I think, is that when we come to the end of life, and just yesterday I stood here as we remembered the life of Peg Graber who passed away, and we had a funeral here yesterday. And as we were recounting Peg's life, what was told about her is likely the same thing that will be told about you and told about me at my funeral and at yours. There were no stories of great big extensions of things. It was more the small moments, cooking in the kitchen, 
and how people loved to eat cookie dough when she would make her stuff, about the jokes that were told and the little moments that were had, the laughter, the pain, the hurt, the love shared in little moments of her life along the way. That is what her kids and her grandkids all talked about. Because the truth is, and we know this is true, but we always don't live it, that we can be captivated by the big. But in truth, we're changed by small acts of compassion. Now, I think this is so important because it will help us direct how we live and how we pursue our dreams. I'm not interested in telling you to water down your big dreams, but I do want you to think, on my way to awesomeness, do I see the small things along the way that I can do? And Jesus interacts with this issue in the pages of the New Testament, which is where we're going to turn here this morning. In our final stop in Jesus' life, he addresses this issue, the seeming paradox between the big that seems to have impact, but the small that actually changes people. And in Luke chapter 13, Jesus engages this, and I'd love to have you turn there with me to Luke chapter 13. It's the third book in the New Testament. Write two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the, gift to, uh, Bible in the pew there, and it's our gift to you this morning. You can also look it up on version or any other app that you have or on your, your computer there if you're watching at home. Uh, Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 10, is where we're going to start our encounter here with Jesus this morning. And here, here we go. I'm going to jump right in. Verse 10 of chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, a woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, let's put a pause on this real quick. It's always important to start with what is happening and where is it happening. And as we look at this text, we see that Jesus is on a Sabbath. He's teaching in one of the synagogues. In Luke's account, Luke was one of the writers of the Gospels. And when he wrote down what we're reading now, he wrote it down in an orderly way. Well, the last time that we find Jesus in a synagogue, we're sitting in Luke 10, but it's all the way back in Luke chapter 4. So keep your finger in Luke 10. And then go back with me to Luke chapter 4, because I want you to see the last time that Jesus introduces, that Luke introduces Jesus in a synagogue. So look at Luke, just flip over to Luke chapter 4 with me real quick. We're going to see what Jesus says there. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So on that day in the synagogue, Jesus is saying to everybody, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be someone who brings good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the blind, sight for the, uh, freedom for the oppressed, excuse me, prisoners, um, sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. This is what I'm going to do. And then he goes and travels through the countryside, and then he returns to the synagogue. And the first time that he returns to the synagogue, what he does in the middle of his teachings, he stops, and he begins to do exactly what he said he was going to do. He begins to proclaim good news to the poor, this woman who's ostracized, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Look what he does with this woman. Take, go back to Luke chapter 13 with me. 
Luke chapter 13, verse 12. Jesus is speaking. This is so amazing. He's, he, he has this crowd. He's teaching in the synagogues. And then almost like in the middle of his speaking, he sees someone and stops speaking and says, hang on, I see you. That's the first thing. He recognizes, he sees her, he has compassion on her, he engages her. And what he does, instead of going down toward her, check this out, he invites her up. Wouldn't you love that if in the middle of this thing this morning, I just pause it and said, listen, can you come up here? I want to have a moment with you. I mean, none of you would love that, right? I mean, I would ostracize you a little bit by doing that. But this is exactly what happened. That This moment, Jesus is inviting the woman up. This is such a profound thing. This crippled woman who's on the outskirts of society, who's a woman we don't even know her name of. She's on the outskirts of this crowd, brings her up. Why does he do that? I think he does it so that everybody can see her. He is sharing the spotlight with her. The woman who should be on the outside so that, hey, all the teachers of the law who are watching, I want to be sure that everybody sees you without a name, who've been crippled for 18 years. You come forward. I'm going to share my spotlight with you. And then what does he do? He heals her. He heals her. He, this is an expression of the, the very kingdom of God, this small little act of, of healing someone as if, as if, and I love to think about it this way, the God of the universe sends Jesus to the planet to save the world. And somewhere along that massive vision of things, Jesus is like, you know, one of the most important things for me to do as I save the world is to heal a woman who's been crippled whose name I'm not even going to share with you. I'm like, seriously? Like, is that that important? Evidently, yes, it is. <laughs> Evidently, yes, it is. And that's such a lesson for us to look at. And so Jesus engages this. And so the Pharisees are, they're upset. They're, they're indignant, verse 14. And, and I understand why. Check that out, verse 14. Indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Sure. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then you should... then." Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Well, <laughs> I don't think, verse 14, the synagogue leader said to the people, speaking to everybody, kind of making a statement for the leaders to the whole group, guys, this was an inappropriate time for this kind of act to happen. There's six days to work. This is clearly an act of work. It's on the Sabbath. It shouldn't have happened today. He's not saying he doesn't mind it ever happening. He's just saying today is not the day for it, right? And if your view is, first of all, to prioritize the law and to keep everything orderly, I can see exactly what he's saying. Technically, he's right. He's saying, woman, you're not feeling well. You're ill. I don't mind if you're healed, just not today, right? I mean, that seems reasonable enough. Come back tomorrow during office hours, during business hours, and then we can handle this, okay? But right now, today isn't the case. Jesus just cuts right through that. So powerful. Because he knows, he's like, you hypocrites. What a, what a powerful response. Because he knows, he knows instinctively. He's like, that isn't the issue. You don't care about this woman. That's the issue. You are hypocritical. You care more about your ox than you care about this woman. When you go home and you see that your ox needs to be taken care of, this is what he says. You get home, man, you've had your ox tied up, and you realize it's been hours since that thing has drunk. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to work by releasing it and letting it come get some living water. 
you're doing work on the Sabbath, but it's for your animal, and can't that wait till tomorrow? That could wait till tomorrow as well. That ox will not die by not getting water on the Sabbath, but you're going to go home and do that. He's like, come on, guys. The, the truth is, why don't you just own it? Why don't you just own it? <laughs> you don't value people. You don't value this woman enough to do this right now. Let's call it what it is, you hypocrites, he says. Such a powerful and, and uh, insightful uh, piece that Jesus has. It's a valuation from She is simply not worth it. Now, as I look at this, I'm like, well, it's a good thing that we don't have ox today that we have to do this with, right? It's a good thing that this issue isn't right in front of us today. Except that sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes it is, if I'm honest with it. Sometimes this issue sits right in front of me today. I can be, and maybe you've seen it too, that I can hope that when I see someone in the crowd of people in my life who needs help, who needs help learning how to read, who's been hurt by the pandemic, whose business has been impacted, whose views of politics have ostracized them, people who have been marginalized by 2020 for one reason or another, no matter where you fall on all the things that have hit us this year. The people who are marginalized, who are hurt, are on the outskirts. I can just say, you know what? I see it. <laughs> but that can be handled tomorrow. Someone else can handle that thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't do it all. Come back during regular business hours. You know what? You should go to the church, because the church helps people like you. You should go to the social service agency, because the social service agency helps people like you, right? I mean, I'm just a guy, or I'm just in business, and we don't do that here. But I'm sure someone would love to care for you. I just don't know how, and I'm not sure I have the time. But someone should probably do something about that. I'm not sure who it is. And this is sitting right in front of us and right in front of me. And here's what is powerful about Jesus. In the New Testament, when he sees someone and, and has an act of compassion, compassion always leads to action in the New Testament. Compassion isn't just a feeling or an emotion. Compassion always has a consequence of action. And Jesus invites this woman forward, even though it's inconvenient, in the middle of his speaking, and says, this, this, is an act of the kingdom of God. Not just teaching and saving the whole world by some massive show of power, but this is actually the essence of why I've come. That on the bigger journey to the cross that he was on, it's these small moments of inviting a crippled woman with no name, ostracized from her community, forward on the Sabbath, to point out the issue and push on us to say, let me ask you, what do you value more, the law or the people? The religion, the comfort, or the children of God who are right in front of you? To which the crowd is loving this. Look at verse 17. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated because they realized their hearts were exposed. But the people, get yourself in this moment for a minute, the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Do you feel the emotion in that? The people were delighted. It's almost as if this is a pressure relief valve. It's like, oh, he gets us. <laughs> wow, he cares. Religion isn't just an oppressive weight to bear that I need to come under the law and obey the commands. <laughs> No, no, no. Jesus, he's done something different. He's taken the Sabbath, and he's healed people on it. He's violated the law so that he can love people 
Can you feel the delight in that? Can you feel the wonder in that? And you have felt that too, haven't you? When someone cares for you to the point, even as if it's a simple you show up to work and there's a handwritten note on your desk from your boss or a coworker that says, hey, I heard you were going to have a tough weekend, was praying for you. What does that do for you? When you get a text or a message that someone is praying for you, if you offer the same care to your kids and stop what you're doing and get down at their level and engage and listen and hear their hurts and their pain, it's that engagement where you feel the delight of the love of people. And this is where Jesus shows to all of us who have a tendency to want to obey the law and do all the right things, he shows all of us the delight of compassion and how freeing it is to find comfort in that space. Because the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And then Jesus asked in verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? What a great question. The kingdom of God, this phrase, was a phrase that was used in the Old Testament that carried this anticipation from the old into the new. And so his audience, his crowd, teachers of the law, and people who were just normal lay people were standing in front of him. They had carried this Jewish expectation of a kingdom from the Old Testament teaching, from their grandparents, from their parents, and on down, that if they would have read their Bible stories to their young kids, maybe like a little Lee might have had things read to him over his years, you know, as these little kids are growing up to be adults, to be older adults, and to be even older, older adults, I'm not sure the right word for that, they would have constantly had the impression of there's a kingdom of God coming. There is a Messiah coming who one day will bring all things right. That's what Jesus talked about in Luke 4 that we just read, that he's going to bring this kingdom to bear. And Jesus then asks the question here, what is after all, the kingdom of God like, the very thing that for generations you have been waiting for. What is that actually like? Is it a powerful kingdom? Because in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream in which he dreamed of this incredible kingdom. He dreamed, and his dream was about Babylon, growing into this incredible tree that would provide shelter and shade for all the nations, that the nations would find comfort and care under the economic policies of Babylon, under the political power of Babylon, under the military power of Babylon, that they could be this kingdom that grows and provides shade and comfort. In the Old Testament, this idea is carried further that the people of God, the kingdom of God, will be an even greater kingdom than Babylon. That there will come a day when there will be a Messiah who will come and provide and deliver a kingdom that will provide shade and rest for all people to find their comfort in. And this is the question Jesus asks. And so when he asks this question, it triggers people for their childhood memories. Oh, there will be a kingdom that will come. What is, he asks, after all, the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Verse 18 in Luke chapter 13. Verse 19, he says it this way. And then he begins to define it in a way that they have never heard before. He says, it is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Sounds a lot like the nations perching in the branches of the Babylonian empire, but this is different. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. It is this seed. It is this yeast. It is this small act 
of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that was known in the ancient world that could be dropped in the ground, this small little act dropped into the ground to grow into this tree that provides shade and comfort for all people. Not unlike the Babylonian Empire, but even greater. The mustard seed, an incredibly big tree for the size of the small seed that it was. This is what Jesus has just done with this woman. This woman is the mustard seed. This woman who, I don't know her name, you don't know her name, <laughs> on the outskirts of society, crippled and lame. This, Jesus says, this act of compassion is the kingdom of God. This is what the essence of the kingdom of God is. And so if you think, he's kind of saying, if you think the kingdom of God must come in power, it must come in a great display of power, I want to remind you, it's the small acts of compassion that are planted that grow to become that which people can find a delight and wonder in, just like the crowd did as soon as they saw what Jesus had done and what he had said. Oh, the burden is released because within this man, I might find peace. This man might be compassionate. That is what we need. Good things, we know this, come in small packages. <laughs> and so here's a couple things that I want to say as I wrap it up. Uh, number one, I believe this, that wherever you are, you can plant seeds of the kingdom through compassion. Wherever you are, you can plant seeds of compassion, seeds of the kingdom, excuse me, through compassion. I don't need to rehearse for you all the people who have been hurt. All the people who are on the outskirts of our circles in 2020. Again, whether it's related to the pandemic or the political landscape, to their work loss, to mental health and loneliness, to anxiety, to fear, to some struggling with faith. You know, across the board, there are opportunities for us to stop and pause and see the people who are right around us, wherever you are. If you're a business leader, people who don't have good jobs in our community right now can't get them. They might be bent over like this woman was. We are working on aspects of workforce development, economic development. This is an interest in planting a seed of compassion in, in our community. If you have an interest in that, I want to talk to you. You want to hear and see how can we plant seeds of compassion that can grow into trees that can provide shade and comfort for people. If you're in school right now, you might have a friend who's alienated or marginalized. <laughs> um, your love for them, your care for them, because you know that even in schools right now, there are people who drastically believe very different things that can be very hurtful to one another. What a beautiful opportunity for care and compassion in your schools. Parents, right now, thinking of our baby dedication this morning. What an incredible opportunity for parents during the season to stop and pause and plant seeds of compassion within their children. Those are things, those are things that are the kingdom of God. And so I guess I want to ask this question to begin to wrap this up here. Who do you see in the crowd in front of you? Who do you see in the crowd who's right in front of you? So I don't know who all's in your crowd. I don't know who all you get to see. I don't know who all's in your family. I don't know who all's in your neighborhood. I don't know who all's in your network. But I know there are people. And I know there are people who have experienced the church or experienced Christianity in a certain way. Who may be, like many in the crowd that Jesus taught, may have experienced church or Christianity as a set of rules to be followed. You do certain things on the Sabbath, and you do certain things on other days, which is what they experienced in Jesus' time. They experienced God through the law. But there are people who need this touch of compassion 
to experience the love of God through care and kindness, who are ostracized, who are, if you will, who are, uh, are struggling, who maybe you and maybe I need to see again for the first time, who I might need to write a note to, who I might need to pray for, who I might need to take an extra minute or two of my day to stop and say, who do I see? As you pray through your week, you get back to work, you get back to your family, instead of just wondering, let me just encourage you to add, who can I see today at work who might need a touch of encouragement? Who can I see today who might need a little seed of compassion? Who can I see today that maybe I haven't seen in this kind of way before? Because you know this is true, and I know this is true, that this is the way the world works, that we can be captivated by big displays of power, but we're actually changed by small displays of compassion. That people will remember and be changed by the time that we spend, even if it's just moments of the day, asking, hey, how did your weekend go? Heard it was going to be a tough one. Can I pray for you here? Let me encourage you with this. Let me remind you that there is a good God. Let me listen. Let me hear. Let me pause. Let me, almost like Jesus did, let me bring you into the spotlight of my life and share it with you for a minute so that I can use the compassion and care of our loving Heavenly Father to share it with you because this is the kingdom of God. Those moments when people see that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance displayed in your life and in mine. So you have seeds to plant, and I do too. And in 2020... We've got all kinds of opportunities to plant them with the people around us. And so I want to encourage you, as you live your life right now, don't just pursue the big displays of power. Don't just pursue the big next thing. While you may have vision for that, I want to encourage you to keep pursuing grand vision. But on your way, on your way to that, don't miss the small things. Don't miss the opportunities to invite people into your world to share the spotlight for healing, love, and compassion because that is what changes people. And that is where we see the kingdom of God. That is what the kingdom of God is like. Mustard seed, yeast that changes everything. Guys, thanks for tracking with us on this journey of follow me. Next week, I'm going to be off here, and Adam Nagel, Executive Director of the Factory Ministries, will be speaking. So we always love having Adam here. He does such a great job. I uh, would love to have you here uh, again next week. All right, will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be here this morning and to pause and reflect here a little bit on what Jesus is teaching us and reminding us about how the small things actually change us. While the big things might impact us at a broad level, it's the small things. It's the moments of compassion that we feel from the hand, the loving hand of people around us. Pray that you'd help us not to be too busy and absorbed with our lives that we can't see clearly. Help us to see the opportunities to plant the seeds of the kingdom, to plant seeds of compassion with our coworkers this week, with our children, with people in our church next to us who need encouragement, who just need a moment of a reminder that God is good and we care. And we want to walk with you. And so I pray that you would soften us, give us the space to hear and to see, to be willing to be interrupted by compassion. That we can plant seeds of the kingdom of God wherever we go. We pray this in Jesus' name.